in three, two, one, and we're live. Are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? Is this not why you are here? How about new, you crazy Dutch bastard? What we've got here is failure to communicate. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. That's cute. I remember when I had my first beer. Why so serious? I am serious. And don't call me sure. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the DTD podcast. Do that deed. This week, we have a special guest, Jim the Kraken Irwin. He's been to the four corners of the world. He served this country, and we're here to talk about all that. We're here to talk about leadership styles. We're here to talk about the different areas of the world and what we can expect to come in the future. So let's get right into it. Jim, how are you, sir? I'm so glad you came on. You bet, man, man. I'm doing really well. Thank you. So let's just go over a little bit of your history, okay? You joined the military. You went to the 2nd Ranger Battalion, 75th Ranger Regiment. You were a distinguished honor graduate of the U.S. Army Sniper Corps. You were the ranking NCO of a military freefall unit. You served in Delta Force. You've served in countries all over the world. You've been a protection specialist. What made you do all this? What started this down the path? Uh, I think get my ass kicked when I was like seven. Start. Okay. No. <laughs> no, uh, you'll find that I kid a lot, but uh, I think early on, just growing up, I had this underlying urge to one, just challenge myself and just see how far I could go with anything. And I, I've always had this like mental thing, I guess you could say in my head where like, there's no way I'm going to, I'm just going to see how far I can take it. Like, you know, addiction. Like if I'm going to be a football player, I'm going to try to be the best football player there is. If I'm going to be a shooter, I'm going to be the best shooter there is. If I got to climb this mountain, I'm going to climb farther than the next person. Right. Um, and just see how far I could push it. Uh, uh, going into the military, I was growing up reading like the Carlos Hathcock books and the Marine sniper stuff. And I was absolutely fascinated with how one or two people could just dominate a space and, and instill that level of fear and I, I was like, man, that that's incredible. You don't need tanks. You don't need, you know, a, a battalion of troopers or just a couple, one or two guys can go in there and just absolutely wreak havoc and, and instill fear in their enemy. Um, and that was intriguing to me. And also the fact that it, you rely on yourself. Like it's it. You got you and your and your partner. If you, you know, in, in the modern sniper arena, you one to two guys. You know, it's usually two guys, not. A solo op, right? right. <laughs> it's not the, the Jason Bourne movies. <laughs> you got a buddy to back you up, and somebody needs to help you carry the radio equipment. I mean, and food. <laughs> I mean, if we're going to get right down to it, <laughs> you're going to be right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that just fascinated me. So I'm like, you know what? I'm going to join the Marine Corps. I'm going to join the Marine Corps. Oh, right? okay. And uh, become a sniper. And uh, about 17 years old, I reached out to the Marines uh, recruiter, and he stood me up. Never even showed up for the interview. And I'm like, well, if they're already screwing me over, like what happens when I get in? 
So right. I hung that I hung that belt up and ended up meeting a an armor recruiter in a, in not too much longer after that I met a former Vietnam Ranger and he started telling me about some small unit tactics and you know what they did and I was just like oh yeah that's like right up my alley and I can be a sniper doing that and he's like yep so I set my course and uh, did it right and didn't didn't quit didn't get washed out didn't get hurt and, and uh, came out the other end went up to Second Ranger Battalion as a as a private and went over to Alpha Company uh, Black Sheep Second Two and did my time as a a squad member and every time I could volunteer to be the designated marksman at that time we had uh, me and another guy were the designated marksmen so the snipers we had our primary job of carrying a squad automatic automatic weapon or whatever it might have been at that time but if they needed a sniper for the platoon it was me and this other guy and that slowly evolved into me going to ranger school once I got back from ranger school I got assigned permanently to the sniper section that uh, they they developed while I was in uh, ranger school so let me ask you a question. Of course you were going to go to the Marines because you were reading Carlos Hathcock books. Right. And, and that was where you got the idea. But I, I want to talk to you about something you had mentioned. And this is a quote from you. You said, I look at the accomplishments and the distances the, these modern snipers are achieving. And I'm simply in awe. I wouldn't be able, or excuse me, I wouldn't be worthy of carrying their spare ammo. Now <laughs> in, Let's let's compare the two, Carlos Hathcock and the new guys. I'm of the mind state that these guys like Carlos Hathcock, your generation, didn't have the technology that they have today. Yeah, they can reach out and touch someone a little further, but it took a little more ingenuity in your time oh. and in Carlos's time. Uh, a lot 100%. more stalking, a lot more, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of technology to back them. So I don't want you to say whether there is a, better or the best kind of shooter but i would definitely think that that statement was made not necessarily in jest but you were just saying it's pretty amazing what they can yeah, do it, these it things. is it is you know, i uh you have to respect the the accomplishments i guess you can say right absolutely um, in how we've come so far so in my day of uh, using a mill dot reticle well I was using that to estimate range because I didn't have a range finder. I mean, shoot, we were just coming out with a quote unquote GPS to know where we were in the woods, you know, <laughs> uh, back in the day. Otherwise you were just like, I think I'm here. Yeah. <laughs> Take that tree over there. <laughs> uh, so men like Carlos Hathcock just had this uncanny ability uh, and natural talent. You know, if a guy's making a two thousand yard shot with a M two fifty cal <laughs> and blowing a dude off a bike, I'm like, yep, it actually hitting the fork that. on the front yeah, of nope. the bike. Not everybody does that, right? Yeah, you got to. There's a lot of factors going on, and he just he had that uh, innate and natural ability. Where now, when it's not to take away from the modern sniper and the, and the amount of the the technology we have, the platforms we shoot, um, we have evolved and figured out. You know, through guys like Brian Litz and and uh, Todd Hodnett, these these better ways to skin a cat, right? And reverse engineer shots using mathematics and the, the countless hours that those guys have put into figuring it out and then sharing it with us now. So I can take somebody and uh, very little knowledge, if, if not any, and I can hand them my rifle that I've already done all the data on, just tell them what to put the turrets on, 
and we're hitting right. out to a thousand yards. When I was a sniper, anything beyond 800 yards with your 308, you were the man, right? You, you, like, you knew right. your game, you knew your crap. And I had to estimate that range and then uh, figure out how to manage uh, expectations of myself and the rifle, crawl closer. Yeah, I can make this shot. Can I get out of there? Uh, no. After I make the shot where we've modernized the craft to where we can truly reach out and touch people, the, the, the ballistics, the platforms are, are – uh, technology you know these computer generated data platforms that we can say okay well punch in these numbers you know and as long as it's good information going in we're going to get good information on the other side right uh, we used to just guess before uh, you'd be real good at guessing range and then launch your shot so you, know, you got to respect that you know and like i said some of these dudes that are shooting you know two miles and it's incredible i gave an example to a, a, a guy taking my class uh, I don't know, two months ago. And I'm like, we're doing a mile shot. And I said, all right, where's your winds doing out there? And as an example, right? And he's like, well, they look like they're left or right and uh, seven to 10 miles an hour, whatever it might have been, you know? And I'm like, all right, well, consider this with the bullet you're shooting, your bullet's going to be about 140 feet above us. So where's the winds really happening? <laughs> he's just like, mind blown. <laughs> it's, because you, you got to launch that sucker so high. We're looking down here and then trying to take a general idea of what those winds are. But in fact, they're getting the effect is 140 feet above you uh, on that bullet. Uh, you're not going to put your spotting scope up in the sky and be like, oh, yeah, it's doing this. Uh, that stuff fascinates me and continues to just push me to continue to learn, push distance, and then share that knowledge with uh, up and coming shooters that want that uh, information and that skill set or that capability. Right? Doesn't mean we're going to hunt at that. But it's sure nice to know that I have that information to fall back on for an accurate shot to harvest an animal. Well, and and in speaking of that, when when you talk about you're you're looking out there and you're seeing what the wind's doing and you're guessing and all that kind of stuff. Another thing when when you talk about you know teaching these guys and their their minds being blown when you go, what is it really doing out there? Another thing to kind of paraphrase what you were saying was what you what the appeal of being a sniper was to you was it's on you. There's no one else yeah. that it falls to. It's on you okay. and the guy sitting next to you. And and I bring that up because I want to talk about a couple different things with that. So you're gonna to have to hang on for a minute as I get the two part it. question out. So you first off, a lot of people don't think that way anymore. That it's on them and it's on the guy next to them. It just doesn't work like that. People don't think like that anymore. And mm -hmm. I really appreciate when people say it's on me, whether it fails, whether it succeeds, it's on me. No one's going to come in and take the glory. Also, no one's going to take the grief that comes from it. That's what no. I dug about Delta selection. To, to like, that's all no, you. Go ahead. It ain't about your buddy who dropped the log behind you. It is all you and only you. You make it, you make it or break it. And so when, when I talk about that, the second part of that question, and we'll get back to the first part in a second, the second part of that question is that really doesn't exist anymore these days. And how do you think we get back to that? There's a lot of, it's that person's problem. It's that person's fault. It's, it's things like that. How do we teach our younger generations? And, and I don't want to say train our younger generations, unless mm -hmm. they're going into a job like military law enforcement, things right. like that to rely on themselves, not rely on everything about them in today's generation, I don't know. <laughs> it's a, I, I almost feel like, I don't even say almost, I feel like we've kind of bred that out. It's sadly this millennial generation, if you will, we've bred out that, that 
individuality or that that desire to strive it's there in some but the 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 masses if you will are looking for a handout they want somebody else to take the blame um and they should just get the the rewards right well they will vote this way or that way not to take it in that direction but like because we want free healthcare, we want free this or that like right i haven't used that yet and I'm, i'll be 50 here pretty quick right and i'd <laughs> You just grind, man, and I pay into the system. I've yet to use it, but that's because I believe that it's on me. Like, like this is how I have to do it. What I think should happen, or how I would do it, is that you start to instill that that the pride in individual accomplishment through either hard work, getting a hard a, a good work ethic, uh, pride in getting good grades, and not just a ribbon for being there, um, or success on the football field or the baseball field based on your achievements and the work you put into it. You know, like you don't draft a whole football team at one time. <laughs> they take the best of the best, right? And Absolutely. you don't get that by kumbaya and then, Hey man, good kick. Uh, I think I get some of those points on my side. Like no, you push that, you put in the hours, you put in the time and I'll, I'll contribute that to a, a good work ethic growing up and being taught that you get out of it, what you put into it. And if you can relay that to the youth or the, this generation and then show them the rewards that come with that instead of just this middle of the road handout, if you will, I think that would start to change some of their minds. I, I, and I agree with you. And going back to the first part, when I say that that's what I really liked about you, what you said when you were in the military, when you, when you first joined and stuff that it's on you, that's why you wanted to go sniper. Um, it, have you looked around at how the military trains lately? I've, I've been hearing stuff from people that there's like uh, stress cards now that they can hold up and they can't be yelled at for 10 minutes and things like that. I, I, I heard that years ago too. I don't, <laughs> I have never confirmed or denied it, but like that stuff went around right after I got out. You know, I was hearing about that stuff. It wouldn't surprise me just based on, this kinder, gentler PC type thing where, Oh, you, if you don't agree with me, you like, then you're not supporting me. And therefore you're, you're wrong. You're bad. And, and, and I believe and that the military, like, yeah, I believe that the military, that's the wrong place for that kind of attitude. Yeah, absolutely wrong place. That's what gets you killed. <laughs> right. The, we are there for a job. It's a as, fighting as, force. <laughs> as good or as bad as you might think it, you're there for one reason. To go every, where you're yeah. where you're told yeah. to go. And not everybody's infantry, but and, not everybody and, who's infantry gets shot and killed either. That's exactly right. But it, it, let's let's go past that and let's look at support personnel. Let's look at people that's that right. keep uh, all the gear taken care of, people that get your mail to you that's important. What was the what was the old girl's name? That was uh uh Jessica Lynch. Yep, right there. She's not a combatant, you know, and guess what? You're in the mix now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and if you yeah. have that, like, Hey man, let's just, can we just talk this out? You know, it's like expecting somebody to hold you up at gun gunpoint, you know, who's got murder on their mind and you don't have a gun and to be like, can we just talk this out? It, it hadn't worked yet. Right. right. And, and have so some, some sort of, uh, of uh, self-preservation in your in mind, you may have to actually fight. Yeah. And, and, and so that's what I look at now. And, and I, I almost start to worry about what's going to happen in the future. Like I said, how do we breed that sense of individual back into people, that sense of pride in what they do? Because 
I feel that in the end, that's going to end up hurting us in the military oh, we, and things like that because there there won't be, and it doesn't have to always be like this, but I believe that more and more there won't be that hard line drawn in the sand. Well, I think too, like I said, we're kind of breeding out the manliness. What was that? Uh, some of the buddies of that toxic masculinity, you know, that's getting bred out. Like, you know, everybody just hold hands and, and everything's fine, you know, um, but you, you will still have your individuals out there, but I think as a whole, we, and this isn't based on any sort of statistics, but I feel right. like we're like two generations away from literally losing our identity and, and, and manliness, you know, if you will, and that, that individuality and that desire to be good or the best at what you're doing. So yeah, we're in a, we're on a slippery slope right now. And it's just a matter of time before it goes one way or the other. You, you like, there, there's going to be that catalyst somewhere that's just like, hey, you're right. We need to man up again, or we're going to be the <laughs> going to be next France. Oh yes. well, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. You can't and, say that. And, and that's uh, and that's the whole thing that that I think that we're. I, I like how you say manliness because it's not necessarily you're you're beating your chest or anything. It's being the best you can be, and that's what we talk about a lot on this show is being the be best. Bravado, just did. If you're Man a dishwasher, <laughs> be the best dishwasher you can be. If yeah, you right. deliver papers, you be the best route salesman that there is. I think that to go back to it, not to beat a dead horse, but I think that we've lost a lot of that. And and I enjoy. I agree. Um, I, I enjoy that that hopefully there is a a turnaround in the future. Um, back to that. That, that but there it, let's not fool ourselves there are door kickers in this world and that's oh, yeah. what they and were bred to down do. the road just not as many probably as we've had in the past you know that that world war ii generation those were some bad mofos yeah <laughs> animals we still have some badass dudes but it just seems like it's there's more there's more of the non-manly than there are manly these days right of uh, just wanting this political correctness, not a, and afraid to stand up for what they actually want to say or believe. Right. And right. to me, that's just wrong. Like that's all you got. Right. Like, at the end of the day, all you got is you, your word or what you stand for. And if you're not willing to stand up and speak out for that, you're just a sheep and go get in the pack. Right. Right. You'll so never be heard. Let, let's go over a little bit of your career. Let, let's go into first Ranger. Now, when you joined, you said that the Marine Corps kind of blew you off. When you signed up, did you sign up to immediately go to a bat? I did. So it was a, what they called 11 X-ray. So I was an infantry right. guy, uh, unassigned Ranger. So I had to make all the, the prerequisites, the selection process, airborne school, Ranger indoctrination program. Um, and then I could go to the to Ranger battalion. Right. So you have to make the make the cuts before you can get it. They're not going to just assign you because there's a volunteer right. unit. Um, so as long as you were making it, you're good to go. If you didn't make it, I probably would end up like first infantry division or something or right. honor guard, <laughs> guarding a tomb somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if that's a, I don't know if that's necessarily a bad job. It looks pretty yeah, cool. I, so I don't know. I, I don't know how I could do. I, I suck and did not like polishing starch and shine. <laughs> I was not that guy, man. We stick me in the bushes. Let me get dirty. <laughs> well, that's, uh, that's completely what that is. So yeah, that's 100%. Like I would be a terrible, like honor guy. <laughs> they, they were like a homeless guy came over to take over the, the unknown soldier. Like who, who's yeah, this guy? Who's the guy in the ghillie suit? 
<laughs> so you go to Ranger, you do all those things. How long do you serve uh, in your battalion? So it's uh, it was four year commitment, and okay. uh, again, it's a volunteer unit. So if you're messing up, you know, doing things wrong or don't make the cut, um, one of the deals while I was there was uh, at about nine months to a year, you go for uh, you go to the Ranger Battalion before you go to Ranger School, right? Ranger School right. is a leadership thing, so absolutely, uh, there's definitely a difference from the scroll of the tab, blah blah blah. That's a whole other story. So you go there, show that you're worthy, uh, you're doing your job. And you're you're good material to become a leader in the battalion. Go to Ranger School, come back uh, to get your tab. If you don't make Ranger School, there's a damn good chance you're not staying in battalion, right? Because you need to be have that tab to get any sort of respect as an NCO from your right. subordinates, because everybody strives that as your number one goal is to get your tab first. Everything else is secondary. Um, once you get your tab, then you start your leadership. Uh, training, if you will, and being assigned more responsibilities and, and uh, leading troops. Uh, I kind of like did the Heisman and then snuck over me one other dude and I just went and been a sniper, you know, just still went, did my thing. <laughs> so I probably wasn't you know, as much as I want to say I was, but I just didn't have a lot of responsibilities, if you will, when it came to leadership side of things when I was in battalion because I was a sniper, you know, it was me and one, two other guys. You right. know, okay, hey, you two go this way, we're going this way. And there's your team and we report to the commander. I didn't have well so once you once you tab about. out, you're a spec four, right? Right. That's okay. Yeah. So yeah. you're you're a sniper as a as a specialist, right? Right. Okay. So the the two guys that are with you, what rank are they? So when I first started, uh Jeff was an E five. And then when he made E six, I was getting promoted to E five. He took okay. over the section as the section team leader. And then I had a team and we had three teams under him. Um so I was a E4, um, year, year and a half, maybe, okay. maybe two. Um, so it was two E4s at first, and then when I was promoted E5, I E5, E4, and then I had an E5. So we kind of stayed together for quite a bit. Okay. Um, I could probably pull up an old picture and find out and tell you exactly who, <laughs> who, who I had for ranks. Uh, Staff Sergeant being, you know, the main, uh, the section leader, and then the E5s, E4s that were right. on the teams. Uh, any, uh, did you have an officer over that or was he just over kind uh, of, not really We pretty, I get, I guess you could say we did because we were in a platoon, if you will. Right. So you, you had, had a, a leader, but we just basically, we dealt internally and we'd get guidance from the, the, the O if you will saying, Hey, we're going to go on this mission. You guys are going to head out at this time, but we planned and did everything ourselves. We just basically got our marching orders from them. Right. Or from him. And then we'd go plan, coordinate and execute on that and then report back to to headquarters or command on uh, our intelligence gathering or whatever task we had at that time. So, yeah, I guess you did. But we did not have a, an officer in the sniper section, if you will. Right. It was all listed. And then the platoon we were in would have the, the platoon leader. And so do you think that being on your being on your own, essentially, other than the E6 that was above you, um was that better for you or worse for you? Did it help you kind of grow in who you were as a soldier and who you were as a person? Or do you think it might've maybe stifled it a little bit, not having that it, leadership of other two roads, two roads. Okay. Like it, it absolutely inspired creativity and, and thinking on your feet and, and, and owning up. If you right it wrong or indifferent, you had to make a choice and you, and there was nobody to point a finger at like, right. Well, the two stores, no, it was me and this other dude. Right. 
um, if we got it wrong. Fortunately, I, I was damn good at it. I'm not, not patting myself on the back, but I excelled in that job and that's, I lived and breathed it. So, I mean, I was hundred percent all in all the time when we we're out doing that stuff. So I never really got like negative uh, feedback, but it really inspired me to think on my feet and be creative uh, and build my craft. But on the other road is it definitely slowed down my leadership uh, progression, if you will, because okay. it's just me and, 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 you know, uh, Brad, like, Hey, okay, Brad, go do this. All right, Jim, <laughs> it wasn't Sergeant this, Sergeant that. And I didn't, I never really held, uh, let's say much weight, I guess, when it came to one rank above or below, if he's an E4 and I'm E5, like I'm right. not going to be like in the bush. Hey, you call me Sergeant. Right. Right. Hey, I, I learned that res- I learned that respect through my actions and I, and I carried that throughout. Uh, even when I was uh, running the, the free fall platoon, you know, as a E6 running a free fall platoon, you know, one of my best buds was an E7 acting as a lieutenant because we chased that turd out. <laughs> so, you know, right. E7 running it, E6 running it. And then as long as we were together, you could call us by our first names. You know, if other higher ranking seniors are around, first sergeant, commander, hey, call us by their rank. But I didn't demand respect based on my rank. I thought that was an absolute horrible way to lead. And I saw it a lot um, because they just weren't good leaders. They just demanded that respect because they are E6 or an E7. Like, but you, you provided no sort of training or mentoring to or stood up for your guys you to throw them to the wolves to progress and look good in front of your your hire which to me is horrible but uh it slowed it down and i started to really gain more leadership i mean when you're in e5 and two years in the army like i look back e5 man i got my shit (laughs) and i got more pay got my tab can't touch me i didn't really know shit about leading troops right but i'll take the pay and and uh in the 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 things that come with that but uh later on i'd say about year eight year nine in i'm like man like i've learned a lot in the last several years on actual leadership and being a mentor and uh and being somebody to that inspires another soldier or subordinate hopefully to wanted to uh uh what's the word i'm looking for uh i i would say to be, be the like, best or do be your like, job yeah, yeah. They want to be like you, right? Because you did it right. Or, you know, one of the best compliments I think I've ever got was several years after I got out, I ran into an old, uh, one of my soldiers when I was in uh, the 18th Airborne Corps Lurse. And it was like four years later, you know, he's already had two tours. He's like, the best training I ever got that was actually realistic and is, I think, believed helped me survive in combat zone was the stuff you and Larry did in Lurse where you like, we did some some crazy shit. <laughs> right. <laughs> we like, simulate a crash helicopter and make him evade, you know, evade for two weeks. And if you got caught, guess what? You stayed out longer with no food. And, and if we caught you, you got interrogated And this. I probably frown upon that stuff this days, but it, we did it for a reason. And that was to survive on the battlefield. Right. And, and right. not just, Hey, we're going to have a barracks room inspection and you better stand too. And start to like, screw that. That's not teaching you anything. Right. Did we have to do it? Yeah. I got in some trouble for, telling some people screw that <laughs> but uh, you know stand up for your guys be a mentor uh, and, and give them something to strive for not just a the guy that's you all yelling at him, smoking them because you don't know what else to do uh, and i learned that later on fortunately like i said as an e5 sniper e4 so i didn't have to worry about it it's just me and my bro right, right. so later it, that leadership side involved later down the road and hopefully i did right by the guys that uh that i did lead 
And so let's go down that road for a minute. I, you know, in you saying that, that, that uh, it taught you a different kind of leadership style. Going back to what we talked about, about today, about um, everyone, no one stands up for their convictions. I've also seen a trend in leadership to where people are thrust into positions that they don't necessarily need to have or need to hold. And I, I see once again, a problem of by thrusting all these people into a position that they have n no idea what they're doing, nor do they want to learn what they're doing. We fault ourselves again. And so not having that ability to learn those things and learn your job before you take over, how do we, how do we fix those kind of things in leadership? Because you've had some leadership positions in this world in very critical times. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I think that would be a, that would be one I have to think about for a while. Uh, in the special operations community, there is, it's inherent, uh, uh, I think by design that you move up fairly quickly, right? Like okay. we need you to be able to operate at another level sooner or, or faster than another soldier um, and trust you with making good decisions. I think in today's modern special operations, like you, you have to, because of your, you're, you're deploying like next month, right? <laughs> so you might have to step up. Uh, but I think there's, when I was doing it, it was basically keep up or, 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 or get out. Like, so as long as you could run and keep up, you know, PT, as long as you could do this and, and you were just who, who a three bags full and, and you, you drank the Kool-Aid for lack of a better term, then you were good. You were going to be making it. And there's smarter ways to do it these days. Like when I started learning about uh, this modern fitness, if you will, like don't just run until you puke because that's what you do. And let's know tomorrow we're going to do a seven mile run with boots. And then like, Hey, check out this technology with cold CrossFit, functional fitness, whatever you want to, right. want to do. And that's actually a program like, holy crap. Like, but have that, at a leadership level too, PLDC, like primary leadership development course, right? I went there as a, a young ranger with a bunch of basic army people. And I was just like, what, this is a joke. And I had way more leadership than them. And I felt I was lacking, right? Right. So I think of maybe a progression or even uh, having some sort of, uh, whether it's online or in person where you're starting to get more mentoring than just your butt, your ass smoked because you're not doing it right. Right. Like, take the time to teach the leadership skills instead of just lead you leading by example is phenomenal, but sometimes you have to explain that stuff and why you're doing what you're doing. We didn't get that. You just, just keep up. Right. Right. And you know, who knows, maybe there is a, a way to do that where now we're started actually talking about leadership, leadership development and how we, we, uh, let me back how I, I've turned this into my teaching, right? I've okay. got, advanced firearms instructor certification from the FBI. I've got NRA certification. This I got this, that I've got all these certifications. What did I do to get those certifications to become an instructor? I shot a call that had a minimum requirement of X nowhere in any of those classes that I ever learned how to get taught, how to teach the class. <laughs> just, okay. As long as I could shoot good, I was good. So I've had to figure out how to articulate this information and then pass it to, a, a student 
if you will. Same thing as a leader to a subordinate and trying to teach them how to become a leader is figure out how to pass that information on so they can retain it and not just through push-ups, right? Which is what I got, right? Right. Oh, no flashlights in your, you know, mag or excuse me, no batteries in your flashlight. Let's do push-ups for two hours. Roll over, do the work. <laughs> like, what did I learn out of that besides stay hard and, and not quit? But yeah. They learn leadership out of that. That guy's a dick. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, uh, so. yeah. And, and, and I agree with you when, when you do that now, does it make you never forget your batteries again? Probably. Yeah. probably. I, got, I got some damn batteries in my L flash L angle flash. <laughs> yeah. You, you probably carried extra batteries with you from then right. on, but I could get the, I get the purpose of it, but there was no leadership training. Involved Absolutely. In that, you know, like, here's why I did it right at the end. Like, I just got screamed at for two hours. And I'm like, you ain't going to make me quit, dude. Just, <laughs> muscle failure is a thing. <laughs> I can only do so many push-ups. <laughs> and so you go from Ranger, you go over to the Airborne Corps, correct? I went up to 117 Infantry in Alaska. Okay. I went to, So I tried to get to the Airborne unit up in Alaska. I wanted to check out Alaska. One of my big things about joining the military and coming from a small town in the mountains of California was I want to see the world, right? Okay. On Uncle Sugar's dime. Right. So I got an opportunity to go up to Alaska. I'm like, yeah, that'd freaking be cool, man. Check out the wildlife up there, blah, blah, blah. And I ended up in the regular army up there in the Fort Wayne. Right. I was like, this ain't that good a fit. And I was in this and I ran a sniper section up there. So at least I had that going for me. Right. And guess what the criteria was to be in that section that, that, that's the platoon. You had to run faster than everybody else. Oh, well, I guess that. <laughs> so the scout out, out PT somebody, you could be in the scout platoon. How fast can you run? Had nothing to do with the fact that I was a distinguished honor graduate of sniper school, sniper in the Ranger Regiment, tab. How fast can you run? Well, <laughs> Let's <yeah>. find out. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think that once again goes back to that problem that we talk about that those are people that are in charge that don't necessarily know what they're doing. They're not looking to shape the craft. All they're doing is looking to fill those positions and they're not, and they're looking to not get fired or a bad sort of counseling statement and look good in front of their, you know, the first sergeant, the commander, so that they can, they can continue to grow their career path. Right. I ran into one other place and I'm not, I won't even touch on that. Cause that's just, that's a whole nother conversation that just bitter, you know, just sours me. Um, and part of why I ended up getting out of the military, but, that's, well, a, that's maybe, a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was about to say. Maybe that's another show coming up. Uh, so, But you get to – sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. So you get to Alaska. You find out your regular army. You still get to do the, the – I guess if there's a silver lining in it, you still get to do the thing that you love, be a sniper. Yeah, I ended up in a scout platoon, which was their kind of – what you would call their elite platoon. Right. right? And uh, there, <laughs> there was some – actually, a funny story just made me think of that funny story that came out of that. I was actually originally assigned to a, uh, a company, regular infantry company. Right. And the, the battalion commander holds this brief in it. Right. And he, he goes on this tangent about, Oh, this was fun. I can't believe I forgot about this. He's like, he goes on this tangent about how badass and elite the scout platoon is right. This and that. And I'm sitting there, I've been there like three weeks and I'm looking at this and he's like, so any questions I raise my hand. Right? And I'm like, uh, sir, why am I not in that platoon? <laughs> He's looking at me like, what? Well, you have to try out for him. Like, where do I sign up? Like, why am I in this regular ass? He said, uh, if you can run faster than this guy, you're in. Right, right. I was good to go. Yeah. Was good to go. Uh, you know, a week and a half later, I was in that scout platoon. 
Nice. One, so, of my, one of my ego moments right there. I forgot about that comment or that question. But, but here's the thing. You could back up what you were saying, and that's the whole thing is that you're asking not necessarily out of conceit or anything like that. You're asking, hey, if that's yeah. the best, I'm here. How do yeah. I get over there? Yeah. But and once again, we go back to the commander saying, uh, well, who are you? And uh, you got to do a PT test. Not yeah. like not even really know what you need to do to get into that elite unit. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> got any leadership like this or that? You know, uh, yeah. it, you know, and it just kind of boils back to, like I said, that leadership. So this actually does touch on the leadership side of things, because here I am, brand new E5, getting assigned to this infantry uh, company platoon. Right. And. I'm there three weeks. The I'm I'm there a week. The the my team leader, if you will, yeah, my team leader. This E6, 18 year career E6, um, goes on leave, right? Takes vacation or whatever, and tells me, hey, um, NCOER are due on these guys. Like, I need to write count monthly counseling on these guys. Have that done by the time I get back. I'm like, I've been here not even two weeks, dude. I don't know fuck all about these guys. Right. <laughs> Excuse my French, but I don't know shit about these guys. And here's a an 18 year career army dude, E6, right? Telling me to do it. Like, where's your leadership? There's something's missing well, here. Like, well, he was giving it to you. I, it years. sounds to me like he was handing it down to you. Yeah. So anyway, I got I got over there as quick as I could. I got out of there. Went over there. That was a good little poll. And then um Funny, funny enough, is in my time in the Ranger Battalion, I still wasn't quite aware that Delta was a thing, even though we'd done missions. And I'm like, who's those dudes that just ripped by us and got on the plane and took off? Like, who was that? Because <laughs> right. I, was, I, I was a sniper on the screening teams, blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, that looked kind of cool. And so the Delta recruiter shows up in Alaska, and I'm just like, right here, dude. Pose. <laughs> I want to try know, that. I I, listen, I was just a Ford observer, just a leg, you know, when they came and did their briefing when I was in the yeah. 25th, that was the coolest briefing yeah, that I've ever yeah, went through the video the that they show. And <laughs> it's, just, it's hard not to walk out with a boner. I'm just saying. Yeah, I was like, they showed that video. They showed that video where they're blowing a shape charge on a window and sliding yeah. down the side yeah. of a building. I'm like, wow, these guys. What are, year was that? So I might have been in that video. <laughs> Let's see. That was uh it was after 97. No, it was uh well 96, 97, yeah. right around in there. Yeah, that's probably pre-me. Uh, that's about when I went. You know, I wouldn't have been in any videos. I remember the guy that, that did the briefing was like a was like a Sarm first class, and he was real skinny and he had like wireframe glasses, and he didn't like he was in a suit and it he was, was a recruiter. Yeah. And yeah, he, he was, was like and I remember him saying, we killed yesterday, we killed today, and we'll kill again tomorrow. And I was like, who the hell is this guy? I mean, he was like ripped out of a novel and came right. there and, you know, everyone talked. But I thought it was cool. And I always really, like, thought those guys, I was like, wow. Because you really never hear about them. I mean, you hear yeah, legend of them. You hear stories about them. I didn't really hear much about them. I wasn't like... I still wasn't real sure what the whole jam was. I just knew that like they're the most elite. I want to try my hand. Like, and so was that, like, was that what you were trying to do the whole time? Because I, I've talked to some other guys that, that that was kind of their idea the whole time, you know, like, Hey, I, I was to be a sniper of the Rangers. That was it. And okay. then Delta just kind of fell in my lap. Like, cause I'm in Alaska. 
I had a few good dudes the rest. I was like, this, this ain't my jam. I am not a regular army guy. The right. recruiter showed up at the right time. And I'm like, mostly elite. Yeah. I'll try that shit. Like, give me a shot. Ran my PT test. Like I said it was like 25 below zero out there. <laughs> so in, the in speaking of that, you started with a class of about a hundred and you and four others were selected. Correct. Correct. Okay. So, I mean, that's got to tell you, once again, we go back to you're relying on yourself. There's a hundred guys there. Five of you make it. That's a, that's a pretty big, uh, 96 attrition rate in that class. Yeah. Yeah. We did the math. They're just under a hundred people. It's 96% of them washed out one way shape. And not that some, I mean, there was some freaking studs that going through when they, they weren't there the next day. I was like, Oh damn. Like, you know, but they're just beasts, but they got hurt or, you know, something. happened. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I recently interviewed, uh, uh, Brad Thomas. Yeah. And, yeah. uh, he said That's the same thing. Phenomenal man. Yeah. He, he said that you would see these guys where when you get there to see, and they're these big and you're like, Oh, those guys are going to make it. And then yeah. it's the guys that can think outside the box. That's what they want is problem solvers. Yeah. Well, it, I think it, one of the best quotes I've heard. And I don't remember, I, uh, sorry, I don't remember the, the man who said it, right. um, but it's a fantastic quote, you know, from a unit brother was, uh, they don't always pick the best guy. They pick the right guy. Right. And yeah. I, and I still somehow made it. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that goes back to the thing that we've talked about this entire interview is, is that for your whole career so far going up to this in the army, you ask, how do I do this? Uh, well, you got to pass the test. Oh, you got to shoot this qual. You got to do this pretty short answers. Um, and whether you were the right guy or the guy that could get it done, you went to it and, yeah. and that's the way it fell. So as you get to this and you start seeing, Hey, there's a different way to do these things. It's not, it's not the perfect guy. It's the guy that knows what he's doing. It's also the guy that can fit in. It's the guy that gets along with the T right. it's all these multitude of things. How does that change your thinking? It's got to kind of blow your mind that, it, it wow, does. there's a completely different way to do this. Absolutely. When, and when you get there, it is an absolute fire hose. I mean, you, it was a phenomenal job. Uh, I have mad respect for anybody who's been there for any length of time, even if I didn't care for them personally, which trust me, that happened. You have an entire stable full of stallions. You don't think there's some triple alpha male stuff going on. You're out of your mind. And every day is a competition, hundred percent competition every day. And, you know, they say every day is an assessment. That wasn't, that's a no shit statement. Uh, it, you want to talk about a hostile work environment. <laughs> <laughs> If every day could be your last day, that's a shitty way to work, right? And I hate to say it, but I'm going to call a spade a spade. That's a shitty way to work. Like, I absolutely love the job, but show your ass one time. You could be gone tomorrow. It's just like, damn, man, that, that's hostile. And there's dudes that did it for 20 years, man. Like, how the hell? Like, that is amazing. Um, I made a decision, you know, just like I said, I'm, I'll air it. It's been 20 years, man, 20, 20 plus. Is I made a decision one day. I wasn't. I didn't do an a, have an AD. I wasn't a bad operator. I kicked it. I mean, I, I excelled at CQB. I made a decision, personal decision. I took a risk on something um, personal, and they didn't agree with it, and it cost me my job for a year. When I went to go back, I got uh, 
basically Heisman from my former team sergeant, Sergeant Major, saying they didn't think I'd benefit the unit anymore. Fast forward two more years, we go to war. Like missed it by that much. So well, I don't, I don't regret it. It's just it was personalities. Um, it was a phenomenal place to work. But I'll tell you what, working in 18th Airborne Corps with that that free fall platoon, absolute best group of dudes and work environment I've, I've ever been in. Um, even to compared to my Ranger Battalion times because. It was a bunch of misfits, outcasts from SF, Ranger Regiment, the unit, like that. Uh, some of our stuff showed their ass one time or didn't do something they wanted. And now we all came together and we'd like, hey, we're going to get a get together Saturday. Everybody would show up with their family, their kids. We didn't do that in the unit. You did your job, you went home. Hey, we're right. going to go bowl. I was the only guy on my team that drank. I got frowned upon on that, right? I was just like, God damn, wait. You get a 297 on the PT test, you piece of shit. Because <laughs> I missed my run by four seconds or something, but I did like a hundred push-ups, hundred sit-ups. Missed my run by four seconds. I'm a shit bag. <laughs> uh, how much? How much can you carry, dude? <laughs> so, so let me ask you then, Jim, because I, I really want to talk about that, and and I can see that you know by the way that you answer certain things, there's some points of contention there, a real contention for well, you, and and it's points of contention that have just the more I've thought about it over the years, it's like, damn, man, like people took this job that. It was a job. It was a job, man. It didn't define me as a human being. And I think it really changed. Well, you talked about changing, right? And right. And how they altered people's thoughts, process, and think. Well, some people, when they got there, they literally felt that they were like invincible. They were untouchables. They were this. They were that. And they become, you know, sorry to say, but assholes. Like their egos went out the roof because they're now D-boys, this and that, and they kind of lost sight of who they were. And here I am still kind of a card, crack a joke here and there, and I get looked at like I'm an idiot. Like, I'm just like, this is still just a job, right? It, right. Oh, you better, it better be you, 100% you, and the egos that go with it. And you see, you'll see, you see them out there, and you know the guys who took it as a job, and you got the guys that, like, uh, took it, and, it, and that, was their, that was their entire identity. Mm-hmm. And I didn't right. feel that way. Like right. I absolutely right. love the job, and I'll and, and I'll cherish those those the time I was there. But when I left, I was just like, "What's next?" Right? What's the, I, I, mean, I was a little butt hurt for a while. I mean, who wouldn't be right? You know, leaving the the most elite unit in the, in the world. But then you start looking back on some of the 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 expectations, you know, and this be holier than thou. Better be in church on Sunday, but I want you shooting dudes in the face tomorrow before you get to church. No questions asked. Like. You want me to be a risk taker, but when I took a risk personally, you hammered me for it. I drink a beer and you look at me weird. <laughs> so right. so there, was some, there was some some uh, hypocrisy, I guess you could say. Again, I'm taking nothing away from that unit. It's absolutely amazing. Absolutely. So, you know, and, and- it's sometimes it's like, don't let it change who you are as a human being. Man. Like that, that part bummed me out and hurt my feelings the most, I think, is guys that I looked up to and trusted just – let it define them as a human being when they, they learn, they kind of lost their own identity. So the, the reason I bring it up and I say there's points of contention because I, I, the way you explained it in the beginning was it's that pressure every day. It's an assessment Mm -hmm. every day. And it's a, for lack of a better term, it's a pressure cooker every day. You, you have egos and you're mixing a lot of things into this stew that might not necessarily go together. Now, in saying that, how does that affect everything else that you're you're doing? Does it make you 
train harder? Does it make you more nervous? Does it make you, you see what I'm saying? Is there, oh, is there a point and, and where it leads you maybe down a bad path? It's possible, but I also believe that you don't, you don't get there and, and do the job, you know, get the jobs you get by, you know, being soft. Right. Right. Um, I, I, there has to be some ego, but it, to me, it wasn't more, it wasn't ego as much as it was competition and, and having fun with that competition and being the best guy on the team at what I was given. My task was whatever that job was on the team, be the best at it. Right. If you're right. pack mule, you better pack a lot of damn weight and bench more than anybody else on the team and squat more. <laughs> right. If you're the breacher, you better know how to build every single chart. Like, um, but I still would kid around and joke and this and that. And I think that's what kind of get lost with some people. Like we don't joke around here. We don't have clowns in this unit. I'm just like, fair enough. And what we do for a living is extremely dangerous and you need to be razor sharp, you know, laser sharp, if you will. Um, some people accomplish that, I guess, by losing their identity where I was trying to just still be me um, and be a risk taker and, and kick ass. But it just, I didn't, it didn't mesh well with me and my team sergeant, right? Had I been on a different team, who knows how long I would have spent there. Right. But my team sergeant and I clashed a little bit on some, on a couple things. So well, no, but I no think, disrespect to him. He was a phenomenal guy, taught me a lot, but we definitely had some different personality. Well, I think that everything happens for a reason. And like you said, so after you leave there, you, uh, this is when you go over to the free fall unit, correct? Yep. Yeah, so you go to the free fall unit, and you said that's the best job you ever yeah, had. It's great. you and a bunch of uh, outlaws, and basically, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and they and they crushed it, man. Every day, you know, they crushed it every day, and we had camaraderie. Um, we we had mutual respect, and there was some of that out there at the unit. Don't get me wrong. Again, the team I was on it was probably a little bit unique and different, but uh, other teams, man, they those dudes, you know, ride and die together. Others like, I'll see you Monday, and I don't want to hear from you till then. You know, it, it's work work and I don't see you in between. Cool. Um, yeah. Great, great group of dudes over at Lurse. And, uh, and I learned a lot there too, from some guys that, uh, you know, this guy, Larry Hawks, man, just an absolute stud. You look at this dude, country boy from Kentucky, right? And you're like, this dude's got a little overweight. This and that dude would out flutter kick you outrun you. I don't think he actually felt pain. Uh, well, that was, always helps. Those, yeah. And he was one of those guys that, He'd read something one time or you tell him something one time and he'd never forget. Yep. And he was just a phenomenal leader laid back. And uh, I learned a lot of leadership from him and he's just, he was him and our E6s together and then became E7. Um, and to this day, I still look at that dude and talk to him once every couple months. And uh, he was actually just awarded, uh, God, I'm going to, I'm going to die on the cross here. The one, the award right below, uh, just the medal of honor. Uh, uh, and below the middle of honor, he was like, um, like distinguished service cross or something like that. He there was you go. awarded that for some of his actions over in Afghanistan. And like, he's telling me the story and I'm like, of course you did that. <laughs> of course you did. Of course you charged a bunker with a machine gun and a four wheeler. That's <laughs> like, why wouldn't you? <laughs> so Ooh. in speaking of that, let's talk about some of the areas that you've worked in, in the world. And I, I thought it was interesting cause I had, I had read uh, when you talked about a couple of these places, and it was interesting to me how you talked about these places. And and even in it being written, this this interview that I read about you, um, you can definitely tell how you felt about these places without ever hearing your voice say it. So okay. I want to start with the worst one of the group. And 
and tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like Afghanistan was the worst one of the group. Yeah, that was a shithole. Okay. Yeah, it was, it was, um, there was a lot of factors in that one. It just, I mean, basically, uh, uh, the entire area we worked was just surrounded by mountains. You know, it's just like, you're just a target anywhere you go. Um, the job I had there wasn't the greatest. Some of the guys like that, uh, I was working with some were cool. The others were just like, you just can't wait for him them to rotate out. Um, right. I was like about eight year, eight or nine and doing protection work. And I was just burned. So it just turned into a shitty deployment, man. I'm just like, screw this place, screw the people, you know, go blow yourselves up. I don't care. But you guys have been doing this for hundreds of years. Like, <laughs> And so you said that, uh, it wasn't a healthy place for you. That's I'm going back to the interview. You said it wasn't a healthy place for you. Now, was that a, a physical, a psychological or kind of both place? I think it was, it was a all encompassing. Okay. Uh, Again, coming into like the later years of, you know, doing that for years and years and years, like it starts to wear on you, you know, mentally, physically, uh, uh, adrenal fatigue, it wears on a marriage, uh, relationships, family, like, Everything else comes second. You're doing that three months at a shot, you know, living in basically the orange, if you will, you know, just pinging all the time. Then you come back and try to do a month at home and that's a shit show. And it ends up not only me, but it's costed, it's cost, excuse me, costed, cost a lot of people, marriages and relationships. And, um, and for me, it was just that, like, it was like the perfect storm of just a couple of douches on the team at the end of like, I was just ready to be done with protection work, high threat protection overseas and being gone all the time. Uh, and then just dealing with the, the, the time we were there, the, you know, the bombings and, and stuff and just running hot. Uh, I was just, I was ready to be done with it. So it was just, it was a drain, a full circle drain on me. And so let's talk about a little bit. When you get back, you say that, that it costs a lot of guys, their marriages, uh, it, it, it costs them more than that. Um, and and I want to compare these two things though. Um, you had, uh, another where you talked about, um, situational awareness and you talked about a person with their head up and unafraid to make eye contact is not an easy target. And you talk about running in the uh, orange all the time in Afghanistan, and then you come home and that doesn't work out well. So you take that situational awareness and you amp it up by a hundred. And you can't ever come down. So the people that listen to the show, I always, when, when I have you guys on here, I want them to understand everything that's going on because I don't think that the average uh, Joe Q citizen understands that when you guys get back, you're not robots. You carry all that stuff with you. And I've said it on tons of these episodes that I've done. You guys aren't robots. You carry this with you forever. And so when yeah. you come back and you try and kick it back down into the green, let's talk about how hard that is to do, especially when you come from a place that you're tired of, that you don't want to be there anymore. You come back and you know you're going right back over. So yeah, you have 30 days, <laughs> 30 days, you turn back around. Right. Uh, and it's hard to come off that. I'll give you an example. I was living in Germany. Uh, I get off the plane. Uh, I think I get home in like 10, 30, 11 at night. I get off the plane about that time. Wife picks me up. I'm driving, we're coming around this corner and we're, we're BSing, you know, catching up. And I see this flash, like boom, bright orange, right? And I like pin her to the seat and I whip the wheel and everything. She looks at me and is like, you just got a ticket. 
I'm waiting for the bang, right? I'm like the roadside, right. you know, the roadside camera, and I'm already like evading. I'm like, I pulled over. I was like, maybe you should drive. <laughs> so, and it took me like two weeks to just come off of that, and then two weeks more, I'm going back. Uh, adrenal fatigue coming out of that, like expecting to get blown up or shot at every day, you know. And there's a lot that goes into it. And I talk a little bit about it when I do like my CCW classes, situational awareness, and just you can't live in that condition all the time because it just wipes you out. So I would get back, you know, in a young you know, early thirties, uh, mid thirties in physically fit, uh, sexually capable, if you will. And I could not, things wouldn't happen. You know what I mean? Like I, got it. I just wiped out testosterone level, like adrenal dump and fatigue and things like sh that should work aren't working for like a week. And you're like, what's going on? And then finally your body starts to reset and things start getting back to normal. Um, it's just like, trips you out like what is going on why is it doing this and that happened i don't care who you are like if you do that long enough that right. stuff starts to wear you down and it doesn't mean something's wrong with you or like you're weird or anything like whether you're uh, been doing it a month or, or or 10 years your body has a way with dealing with things and you got to deal with that and i think part of that too when you start getting guys that are going over and doing combat like i was doing three months like i felt like i was getting over because i got bros that over there 10 months 18 month rotations and i'm like Whew. Like, and they're and they're kicking doors every night. Like, how the hell are you still going? Like, when I was seeing it, you know, three and four months at a shot. Um, so here you are now. These tough guys, if you will, these badasses. Like, hey man, I need to take a knee, and then they get looked at like they're no longer an asset. Like, right? Like, right. what? I've been on thirteen deployments, and I actually asked for a timeout, and you're gonna put your your nose in the air at me and say you're no longer an asset. I was like, when I got told that story, I was like, you got to be shitting me. Um, yeah, that stuff happens whether you're a regular old dude or a special operations dude. And at some point, you just, it takes its toll on you and you got to back out or you're you're going to ride it in, right? And, and <laughs> be forever uh, changed. And I decided to stop doing that about eight, year eight, nine. So going on with your areas of operation so we come out of afghanistan um now were you in iraq first or afghanistan i was in iraq first okay uh, started in so, the balkans bosnia and then went to iraq israel and then afghanistan was my last run okay so between bosnia iraq and afghanistan how many deployments are we talking right now uh well three three four, basically three months on one month off two months on two months off for five, six years. <laughs> so, wow. so you used to say six, you're probably in the twenties. You know? Okay. Yeah. So let's, I just want to kind of I set know, the stage. That that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to set the stage. So we're talking about Iraq now about Iraq. You said that it had a very wild West feel to it. Oh, yeah. um, and you believe it will always be unfriendly to Westerners, no matter what we do with you, you would agree that, and maybe you won't, that we have made a little uh, progression over there. Little. Yeah, I think some. Obviously, when I was there, we we helped uh, facilitate the first election, or real election. Okay. But why do you feel that it will always be unfriendly to Western? Is there something that stood out to you? But first and foremost would be the, the, the religious beliefs of those guys over there okay. and their views on Western civilization and there's parts of that country we went into just like 
I don't even know if they knew what we were. <laughs> like they are so uh, set in their ways or uh, unexposed to modern world that they've been taught a a way, and that's the only way, and it's going to be that way for centuries. And they breed in the hate from an early age. I mean, the 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 Middle Eastern countries and people, if you will, in my opinion have the long to include like the Afghanistan and so the Afghanis have like the longest term memories that they runs generations, like hundreds of, years of hate. Like right. we got hit nine 11, right? We were the most patriotic loving force, like nine 12. I missed that day, right? Where we became together as America. We're not even 20 years later and we're fighting each other, like over politics, bullshit. Like we have the shortest Americans have the shortest term memory I've ever met a human being. You go over there, that stuff is ingrained for centuries. So I believe that leads me to believe that, you know, we'll always be looked down upon over there because it's just ingrained to them in such an early, uh, an early age and for generation and generation that we're just the bad people. We don't believe the same way, right? We live a different way. We have different societies. Um, so we, we might be accepted in certain areas, but I think as a whole, uh, we'll just always, we'll always be an inferior person. It's, it's in their religious belief, right? If you're not a Muslim, then you're a heathen and you'll, you'll never be equal. Right. And so when you we say put a that, Walmart there, then they'll believe. Say that again. <laughs> I said, until we put a Walmart there, then they'll believe. <laughs> I don't know. I think a Walmart will hurt us more than anything over there. If, <laughs> if, if people don't like us, they're really not going to like us after <laughs> they stand in line. You know how mm -hmm. there's always like 35 aisles and one cashier. Uh, anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Too open. So is there, do you think that there's anything that I, I know that you think that it'll always be unfriendly to Westerns, but is there anything that you think you see happening maybe in other countries that could be used towards that, that maybe we haven't done yet. No, it, I don't. It's just well beyond or before our days that people have tried. Right. Um, there's tried to, 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 to Westernize or civilize these people. I mean, you, you don't have to roll back the tape too far uh, back to when these guys were literally nomads with herding camels and stuff. And then like, okay, by the way, guys, here's some oil <laughs> right? You know, in that country. And then this country over here, which are fairly friendly to us, but I don't, I wouldn't expect them to not put a knife in their back if they get a chance. And then you look at uh, Iraq, Iran, Afghanistan, that whole pocket through there, that whole area has been fought for since the Roman empire, you know, you know, uh, Alexander well, the Great. You, you mentioned that, that, that when yeah. you were in Iraq, you you kept looking out into the distance thinking you were going to see Alexander the Great roll yeah, through. Like that, stuff just, that just, you, you think back on that stuff, and that's here. here's been a contested land for centuries, you know, thousands plus years, and it still hasn't changed much. So I don't think in our lifetime we'll, we'll see any sort of progress, sadly. You know, we've went over there and tried, you know, did we have some ulterior motives? Probably, but did we take out a tyrant? Yeah. Uh, but the next kid with the big stick's going to just pick it up when we leave. That's just their mentality. That's their upbringing. Like, if I got the bigger stick than you, then I win. Right? If the Sunnis get more than the Shias, then they win, right? Or vice versa. And then they're going to, and then we're both going to hate on the Kurds. <laughs> it's like, so it's just like, it's this trifecta of just hate. Like, it's just, 
a but perfect do, storm. It's, yeah, it's and it's constant. So it's constant. So, so I bring all those up so I can go full circle with you because this was the interesting part to me. So you mentioned over and over when you talk about Afghanistan, when you talk about Iraq, that this has been going on forever. But then we talk about your favorite place to travel to over in that area of the world. And that's Israel. And if you want to talk about yeah. something that's been going on forever, that's Israel. Yeah. yeah that's yeah. That's the and dawn, so, right? It was but interesting to me that yeah, you you say right that you say you know th this has been like this forever and this is the history and this is what's bred in but but you go to Israel and and you say uh, all the travel you felt like you were going back in time in certain things yeah. and that um, you had someone that you worked with over there that was always wanting to be on the move always wanted to see the sights always wanted to be out and about and so you went to all these places that were you know. I don't want to say untouchable to the regular person, but I mean, unless you're going to travel yeah, to Israel, yeah. it's untouchable to the regular person. Yeah. You know, you, you know, a gringo doesn't get to go in the Al-Aqsa mosque, you know, and right. my guy did, and I got to right? and literally see the top of the dome of the rock. Like that was pretty incredible and fascinating to me. And then to like, yeah, highly contested, but now you're talking about different set, uh, uh, religious belief. There's a, that place has six different religions that seem to work together. You know, yeah, you've got you know, the Palestinians, uh, and you still have you know the, the Muslim belief over there. But then you've got Greek, you've got the Orthodox, you got this. There's like I don't can't name them all. I apologize. Down on my uh, my religious uh, nomenclature, um, like all those guys are under one roof and they're coexisting for all these years. Yeah, they're still fighting like in, against the you know the Palestinians and, and stuff like that. But the history that goes back so dang far. I mean, to to Jesus literally walking. Those roads is just a different, uh, different vibe. You do have the, the Israelis that are a fairly Westernized uh, society, if you will, um, and they they seem to make it work, right? And they're not afraid to swing a stick. I mean, you mess with the Israelis, you send a, right. a, a scud or whatever, you're going to get hit with like jets, <laughs> like, right? And you yeah. have the Israeli uh, Defense Force and all that kind of stuff. Even so. then, you have. Um, different levels of, in, in areas there, like even in the Jewish areas or, you know, the Hasidic Jews on certain days, you don't go in that area because you're not supposed to be doing this. You're not supposed to be doing that according right. to their beliefs, you know, and that type of level of stuff. But to live, you know, a half a mile from old, you know, Jerusalem and then and getting to travel with the guy I was protecting and seeing all these different sites, it was just a pretty uh, incredible time. And in, in, to get to experience that going to, uh, mass in Bethlehem on Christmas Eve. You know, like, who gets to do that? Like, well, 10,000 people that I was there with. <laughs> but, but at our level, of you know, not everybody gets to experience that. And I got the opportunity to experience that. I thought that was just pretty doggone cool. Well, I think that the person you were with pretty much narrowed down. You went to the location where Jesus was born. Yeah. So supposedly within that six foot by six foot, that was the right. spot and touch the ground there, uh, you know, get an opportunity to do that. And that, that stuff kind of fascinating. It just fascinates me that I got that opportunity and to go back that far, you know, and, you know, and in Iraq, we got to go to a couple different places there, you know, I drove past the tower of Babel, like that's pretty freaking cool. Right. Uh, I forget the moon temple or something went there. So a lot of history, but you just didn't really get to take it in the same level i guess you could say as i got to in israel um and 
basically live downtown and, and be not a citizen, but we weren't in, in a compound. We weren't worried about getting rocketed or mortared and IED'd every day. So it's just a little different vibe and still just uh, a really amazing time to, to just basically live in history and, and see that stuff. So let's move forward to what you do now. Um, you are kind of like the brand spokesman of, uh, everybody. <laughs> you've, you've got a lot of people that you're the brand spokesman for. There's a couple that I want to talk about in particular, and mostly I want to talk about cryptic, uh, and, yep. and it's a hunting clothing line. It's camouflage, but they are a little different in their camouflage than other people. Now on their website, it talks about that it's a technical hunting clothing line. It's built by tactical military apparel attributes. And after years of combat and ultra extreme conditions and environments, they saw a need in hunting apparel industry. It was lacking a technical clothing line that was functional, durable, reliable, and didn't break the bank. That's why they formed it. And they have, camouflage that almost provides like a 3d appearance to it so they're like light years ahead yeah. of everybody else so can you first just talk about the company as a whole yeah so i met uh, butch and josh i think in 2012 at the uh, sofic it was a special operations forces uh, industry conference thing down in tampa um and we were just i was shooting the breeze with uh, josh uh one day He's talking about his clothing, his camouflage, this and that. I'm like, okay, cool. Remember, I was wearing, you know, flight suits and, and woodland camo. <laughs> yeah, one piece, you know, flight right. suits and woodland camo, right? I wasn't too geeked out on camo. Uh, but he started talking, this is what I do. And then he's, him and uh, Butch are both uh, uh, Army Special Operations Aviation. I'm like, oh, badass. You know, that, that's pretty cool. You guys are doing this and come together. Uh, they worked for each other. So Butch. Uh, or uh, yeah, Butch was Josh's commander, and I apologize if I get it wrong exactly, but you know, working together, doing doing good things for our country. And Josh was actually the one that was coming up with this concept and this design. I went to Butch with him saying, "Hey, brother, I want you to can you help me with this? And I need that, I need your help to push it over the top." Uh, and they struggled for a while. Basically, they both put it on the line to, I mean, mortgage everything you know, whatever it is, put everything out there to, we are, we are going to, we're going to make it or we're going to be a panhandling in Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to be the homeless together. Quarter, right. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they made it, uh, I'm cracking some jokes, just being me. And Josh is like, dude, you're, you're just a big, hella funny dude. How'd you like to be on our pro staff? And I'm like, what, what the hell's that? Like, what is a pro staff? Yeah. So he's like, Basically, when you go hunt, you wear my clothes and, uh, you know, my, my, my camis and everything. And then we promote the pictures and everything. And I was like, do I have like a requirement of, do I go hunting with you guys? Do I pay for it? Do you pay? Tells me the whole thing. I'm like, that's pretty cool. Let's, let's give it a shot. And then, so I progressed with those guys and I ended up, uh, ended up, uh, living with Josh for a while, like, you know, as roommates up there in, in Idaho. So we, we were pretty close. And then he helped me grasp what pro staff was or this brand ambassador thing. And then we picked up, a, he helped me pick up a couple more and then some more fell in. And as I grew my name and I guess it lack of better term, my reputation with everything I've done, like if I'm going to, I'm not going to put my name behind anything I don't believe in. Right. I don't care if it's a pistol, bubble gum, camouflage. Like I'm not putting my name in something that doesn't work. Right? right. If I wouldn't wear it in combat or put on somebody I love, I ain't doing it. And I'm not going to put my name to it or promote it. 
so that stuck and I picked up some more and come to find out it was, a th I didn't know you could make money doing this, right? Like this is kind of <laughs> cool. <laughs> now it's very volatile, you know, you know, one day you're the hot, the, the hot item. And the next thing, you know, Matt best comes around the corner and you're the turd in the punch bowl and he's good. And then, then somebody else is going to replace it. You know, it's just that kind of thing. But uh, yeah, that guy's kind of killing it right now. Yeah. Matt's good people. Uh, well, good. Yeah, tell him I said hi because he won't take my calls. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, he is kind of a vixen now, you know, the diva. You know, <laughs> so uh, I will say uh, the picture that they took of you is uh, fantastic for the uh, website. Um, oh, I, I'll make that? sure the the one that described you. I'm I'm trying to bring it up right now. Oh, like a McNeilan or Stan or something with a dog or yeah, something. Yeah, but but I yeah. mean, you're all kitted out. You got the headset on. You got everything. You got the can on the front of your rifle. You're yeah. you're kitted out completely. Yeah, I got to keep that stuff. Did you? <laughs> nice. There you go. So, um, in this, so you you are the. Is there a reason why? Because I know that you teach classes, you teach shooting classes, and things like that. Is there a reason why you decided? to take this route in life. Uh, we've talked a lot about what you did in the military and how you kind of felt like you needed to still be yourself. So is this like the, the true you or is yeah, this, this is, yeah, an adventure to be the best or what, what are we doing it's here? A chase, it's a chase. What I want to do in life, um, not have to deploy back overseas. You know, I, I'm, I feel like I checked that block <laughs> more than yeah. one day, yeah. you know, like I think I've, I've proven to myself and, that's most important that, okay, yeah, I can do that. You know, I left Bosnia to go to Iraq because I just wanted to get in a fight. Like, I just, like I left the military right before, like, it's like making it to the playoffs and then like breaking your leg and not getting to play you know, right. in the Super Bowl. Like I get out right before. So that was my way of getting over there and getting into it. Um, and it was one of those, like, I'd ask myself, is it dangerous? And if I could say yes, I'd volunteer. And if I have, I've been there before, no, I'd volunteer because I want to see, like I said, remember, I want to see the world. So right. if I could see it on Uncle Sugar's dime or somebody else's dime, I wanted to see it. Uh, so I pursued this to get away from doing that. And it was just kind of fell in my lap. And I'm like, so you're saying that these people are going to send me gear. I get to keep this stuff. And all I got to do is use it where, and I have had several that sent me gear and I started messing with them. I'm like, no. <laughs> We'll send this back to you. Like this, this isn't up to par, right? So right. I have a pretty core group uh, that I still really believe in, and I've, I've, in a way, pushed back a little bit from the pro staff sp paid sponsorship stuff because now, as I've started teaching, uh, I'm looking that I, I feel that I need more exposure to other brands, if that makes sense, so that I'm yeah. able to yeah. talk so intelligently can, about yeah, those absolutely. brands, and recommend things to people. Not everybody can buy the. $2,500 loophole scope, right? You know, which is a phenomenal piece of kit, but not everybody can afford it. Right. So I kind of stepped back to be able to say, hey, like I still have this core group of brands that I'm sponsored by and that I, I hands down believe in, but I was delving out to start, okay, well, let's look at this. And is this a quality product that we could potentially recommend to somebody that does work, but it's not the, the gold standard, if you will. It's not the Terrapin X at $7,000. Right. Like, okay, let's get back to reality here. Um, so I started geeking on some of the gear side of things like I used to when I was a sniper, but I just get what you got and go out and, and master it. So now it's like applying it to hunting or uh, personal defense and, and knowing 
that if I'm talking to a 65 year old lady or a 35 year old dude that wants to run three gun and this lady wants personal defense and just needs to be able to protect her home or herself, it ain't the same gun. It's not the same as, and to be able to broaden my knowledge base and then be able to share that uh, intelligently, if you will, you know, factually, instead of just, well, I guess if you try this, uh, so it really led me down the path of just sharing my knowledge right? and then sharing with other people to help them better protect themselves. So in really, it's still in a protector mode or role in a bigger, uh, uh, what's the word? Like, I guess a bigger spectrum or, or bigger environment. Overview. Yeah. Yeah. Bigger environment and still trying to share what I've learned in the past 30 years. That's really where it went. It's like, Hey, I believe in this product. This is why this is why I'd recommend it. And then with the firearms training, I, I avoided it for a long time uh, because I felt that I wasn't of the level of the guys that taught me, if that makes sense. Um, like I'm not Kyle Lamb. I'm not this guy. I'm not that guy. Um, and then one day I was talking to a friend of mine who I, I really look up to. And he's like, you're doing people a disservice. He's like, you have a great way of relaying information. You know how to damn shoot. <laughs> he's like, You've learned from some of the best in the world. Share your information, man. Uh, and I see, you know, I stumbled for a couple of years on how to, to relay that information and then started to gain traction and, and get my, uh, get my rhythm, if you will, or how to present that information to it's whether it's from a day one shooter or to a 20 year shooter, uh, SWAT team guy, or, uh, an avid hunter guy who doesn't know how to set up a scope. And it seems to be getting more and more successful. And I'm cracking the code on how to deliver that message, regardless of your experience level, uh, and share what I've learned. So continue to, train, educate, inspire, uh, and motivate people to be that individual and seek to challenge themselves and become the next spec ops guy, maybe. You know, how do I do that? And I can do that through firearms training, gear reviews, through these things, and try to be a mentor in a good light. Yeah. Taking some risks here, making some stupid mistakes, but still here. <laughs> so let me ask you something, and it's going to get kind of, uh, I guess, existential. You're going to have to think about yourself for a two, minute. Two dragons? Here's the thing. Do you feel, because in talking to you, when you talk to people in all the interviews that I've watched of you, I told you when I read some of the stuff that you did, you have a way of explaining things and you can tell right away that it's on your sleeve. You know, when you like something, when you don't like something, when you want to do something, when you don't. And I feel that this has fulfilled you more than anything in your life. This teaching of people. Yeah, I've, I've really taken to it and I get a lot of pride, I guess you could say, out of seeing the light bulb come on, meaning I've, I've put it in a manner that it's like, ah, oh, I got it. And it makes sense. And then you watch them uh, excel, whether it's on the long gun, pistol or carbine, uh, and start to just get it and then progress and see uh, positive change. And then they're like, man, that was freaking awesome. Like, and then I want to, I'm going to bring my kid next time and then see that excitement going from me to them, to their family members. And they continue to share it. Right. And, and evolve it. So yeah, I get a, a tremendous amount of personal satisfaction and um, pride out of seeing people grow off of what I've been able to show them and share with them. Not just keep it to myself and be a dickhead. Cause I was a Delta force guy once upon a time. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I, mean, I only got hair. So <laughs> So 
couple more questions then we're going to get out of here also at the end i want you to um, be able to talk about a lot of the stuff i'm going to of course put up links to all that stuff for you so people can find you people can request you you. On that, my website too it's got a, a list of the sponsorship yeah. so too. i'll, I'll really put all that on here for the show so people can see it on here right. and, and and on the group and stuff but let's talk about sniper movies for a minute now you read carlos hathcock's books and yeah. and, and, and things like that sniper the movie what do you think about it? Well, I think he was one of my instructors in the army course, but uh, no, <laughs> no, you, you, I've, I've, how do you put it? I have resolved <laughs> to not critiquing movies. Okay. Long ago, or you just won't enjoy them. <laughs> Cause if once you like, once you know, and I sit here with my wife and we'd be like looking at something, she's like, look at that grip. Like once you know it, you can't unsee it. Right. Once right. you know a correct grip or this or that, or you got the, the ultimate assassin and then the the cover you know picture with this dude's eye jammed against the scope you're like yeah he's a pro yes yeah. <laughs> like if you just you'll never enjoy another action movie again if you just you turn well, you it know, into a comic thing so you know um, there's like seven sniper movies now yeah i and i think i saw the first one I haven't watched one since i'm telling you there <laughs> i might have to go a, review the sun that is a sniper now and Billy Zane, the character that was following him around is yeah. now like his partner training his son, working with him. I'm going to have to watch that right after I actually watch all the Texas zombie wars. Uh, oh, <laughs> let's talk about those. For a minute. I'm glad you brought that up. So uh, that has you and a couple buddies uh, who came up with that idea. Oh gosh. Uh, uh, I met, I met, uh, so Dale Comstock, he's in the movie, right? Okay. Max Mullen. So I go down to, I think it's a uh, Max Mullins. Uh, he's getting indoctrinated in the Ranger hall of fame. Right. And Dale's in there and Dale's a former unit member and a member of mine. And I see him in there and I'm like, Dale, what's up, man? And this and that. And he's talking and he's just, we, we hit it off and he's like, damn, you got, you know, buffed out. And I've been doing a bunch of training and basically living in New York 30 days on 30 days off, like basically a captive working for this highly value client protection. So I basically just sat in an apartment waiting to do whatever he wanted to do. And so I had the mornings to work out and was a driver that blah, blah, blah. So I just trained my ass off for like a year and got kind of yoked up. He's like, I'm doing this zombie movie. You're like, I want you to be in it. And I'm like, Oh hell yeah. <laughs> and it started out with that the Zulu six one, which never went anywhere and involved to like, I, I did not zombie find movie. that movie. Texas. Yeah. Down in Texas. So, and so my wife's in the background, you know, worst, worst movie ever. She doesn't know. I, well, listen, she doesn't know. Listen, yeah. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot worse films. Uh, yeah. Now that Zulu 6, I can't find that one. It, we never got, it never got made. It, well, we I, did all the let me filming. You, I don't know if you followed this, but once you and I agreed to, to talk to each other, I started digging into this stuff. Right. That Zulu six, there's trailers for it everywhere. Yeah, it's got its yeah. own IMDb page. It's got everything, but to find the actual film, I don't think you the film ever it. made it full, full, full circle. Um, and part of the backstory on that is the guy who originally filmed it, you know, and produced it when we were down there, me and Dale and, and Max doing that stuff. Uh, I guess kind of sold out and kept a bunch of the the drives and everything. And then the the guy who actually paid for it all took him forever to get those drives didn't get them all there was no way to recreate some of it so i think the trailers got made off a lot of the the parts and pits and then it just never came to fruition so the zulu or the, the texas zombie wars was basically the 
the backup to that and bringing the same kind of characters out there and messing around the outside of El Paso. It was fun. And I mean, a lot of voiceover stuff. I actually did shoot that 50 cal. I was like the real shot. I'm like, you can't reproduce this with, you know, CGI with the blast on this thing. And like, we need to shoot it. Where's the ammo? (laughs) Yeah. Like, where's so, the ammo let's shoot this bastard <laughs> hey what is it like six dollars a shell so it, it's all right yeah after about um, round eight i'm like like are we good because my shoulders start taking hammering <laughs> so you know you've you've done everything you you were in the military you've done gear uh referrals you've done gear walkthroughs for people you've taught people how to shoot you you would say you've had a pretty fulfilled life um What's the biggest thing that people can take away from your life? What's the what's the biggest thing that you can tell someone? Hey, because on this podcast, this is what we talk about, being a better you. What can they yeah. take away from you? Uh, don't be afraid of failure. Um, it, that shit happens. Uh, like to me, leaving the unit when I did, you know, that was a huge crush, uh, like crushing blow to me and my um, mor- morally, emotionally, like, I was in the, the most elite unit in the military and now I'm not, and now I'm a piece of shit. No, you're not. Right. Um, I started a, you know, a couple companies here and there on my own. I had no idea how to run the company. It fades. Like just always move forward, man. Like don't ever take something, a failure as like the end of the world. Like take that as a learning, a learning point, learn enough of what you did and then continue to, pro- to progress and at some point you will find your stride. I mean, I'm damn near 50 and I'm just hitting my stride with this firearms training stuff. Right. And I, and I've messed around in the last 30 years with a lot of different stuff. I'm still here. All right. Um, have a good attitude about it. Don't let things run you down. Like, man, just look for, just continue to challenge yourself. Like, like don't be afraid of failure and, and refuse to fail. And was, I've said that in a podcast, like refuse to fail just because I've, like I said, I had a few companies that I've started and I had no idea how to run them. So it was a, a company of one and they've since gone away and I try something else and involve this and continue to learn and, and have fun with it still. Like be, it's okay to laugh at yourself. It's okay to crack jokes. We're not robots. And uh, at the end of the day, man, you know, just continue to challenge yourself and know you have friends out there that love you. And if you got problems, talk with them, right? There's, there's more ways around, you know, hard hardships than just, the final solution, which sadly we see way too much of. And there's some f- fantastic uh, people out there, you know, to name drop real quick, like Warrior Heart Foundation is one of them. Uh, All Secure Foundation, Tom Satterley, the Spooner Brothers at Warrior Heart, fantastic men who have been there and done it probably more than most men. And they're saying, hey, it's okay to take a knee. So continue to drive forward. Failure's not an option, man. And just be you, always be you, be true. And, uh, you fail, get up, do it again. Let's find a better way to do it. That's uh, it's pretty in, that's pretty <laughs> inspiring from the Kraken man. He's uh, he's letting you know how to get through life. Uh, yeah, you're exactly right. That final solution. Uh, last week, uh, excuse me, two weeks ago, we talked to um, Dan Lombardo from Twenty Two Kill, and they yeah. are an organization that that yep. sees that way too often too. Yeah. Um, so we'll put links to all those groups that you were talking about warriors heart and all that. We'll put links to that on the group too, just so people can check that out if they want to help out or donate or whatever. 
guys, that's going to be it for this week. Uh, this has been great, Jim. I, I I'm so yeah, honored to meet yeah. you, to talk to me, uh, to come on here and just kind of tell your life story. I, I think there's a whole nother podcast in this one still that we right can on. talk about. Well, one of these days I'm actually going to start a podcast and I'll call you. Oh, Hey, I'd be glad to I do mean, it. I've so. got a name for it. I just, I want to say I'm too lazy to do. I've been too lazy, but I think I've just been too busy. Between uh, two guns with the Kraken and Huntress Divine. There you go. I'm, I'm, I'm hoping the Huntress Divine is your wife and not another name good. for you. Okay, good. No, I, uh, that's my that's my porn name. Okay, <laughs> mine's Fred Canterbury. So nice to meet you. Uh, yeah, totally kidding. That's my wife, Huntress Divine. So you get a men and woman, men and woman side of things when you like hunting gear, this that guns, blah blah blah, just the Very whole thing. Cool. Where things talking guns you know very very cool this has been the dtd podcast remember the best stories are true and every week no matter what you do make sure you do that deed you can check us out on twitter at doublespeak dj at facebook at the dtd podcast group and on youtube at the dtd podcast thank you so much for coming in this week telling us your story that's jim i'm dj we'll catch you on the next one guys we'll see you later bye have a good one bye